we're going to spend the next few weeks um, talking about this idea that we are family. And uh, I think Sister Sledge said it best. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we, we are family. And so this is a conversation um, sort of about uh, who we are, what we're about. And, and so we're not going to get terribly deep into the vision statement of our church or anything like that. Uh, we'll talk more about that at our vision team meeting. But, but just kind of an, as an idea of the priority of God's heart for family and uh, for the family of faith. And so uh, I, I really just want to take some time and, and look at and just kind of walk through some scripture that God's laid on my heart. And uh, we're going to look at one chapter today in, in Romans chapter 12. And uh, we touched on this last week in our message, this chapter, and, and want to continue it today, just kind of walk through it. But um, I, I, I have been a part of church my entire life. I can't remember not being in church. And uh, when I, I grew up around here, and so uh, when I grew up, we were part of a, uh, a, a certain denomination. I will let it remain nameless, but I'll just say this. They, didn't, they weren't terribly fond of musical instruments. Not, not the biggest fan of those, and so you might have connected the dots. But uh, we were part of a, a, a church, and that church was the one that I remember, the, you know, as a youngster, the first church I remember was, I mean, tiny. Uh, if we were all going to go to that church, we'd have to go in shifts. I mean, we'd have to take turns. And so really tiny little church. And uh, I remember um, we, we were really close to the pastor in his family. Uh, my parents were friends with them, and they had two kids, and my sister Charity and I were friends with the kids, and we do a lot of stuff together and hang out and everything, spend a lot of time together. And I remember as a little bitty guy, uh, I, there was one lady, and uh, she was older, and she, I, for whatever reason, she really was fond of me, and so every Sunday she would come up to me and she would have like bubble gum in her purse. And, and I'm like, I love this lady. This is like Halloween every Sunday. This is wonderful. And uh, she, one Christmas, she gave me a little Hallmark ornament. Uh, it was a little bear playing the drums. And I still have that ornament. And I was probably, what, five or six years old, maybe. And, uh, and I still have that ornament. I put it on my Christmas tree every year. And uh, it, it meant so much to me. And, uh, and, but it was a really tight community. And I think my parents, I don't want to speak for them, but I think they would, they would probably say honestly, um, it, was a, it was a tough season for them uh, for, uh, in their lives, in their family. And this pastor, this, this pastor and his wife really got involved. And I would say that my, my mom and my dad are still reaping the benefits, um, geez, 40 years later, of that person's involvement in their life. And, and just their willingness to, to be family, to be friends, to be tight. And, and so I, I grew up in a, a very small, tight-knit community that just was family. It wasn't flashy. Uh, there was no flashing lights. Um, it was extremely humble and, uh, and, and not, not, not sexy at all. I mean, it was just very plain Jane. No makeup. I think that the American church, um, like everything, we, we fall in love with numbers and metrics and, and, and uh, scuttlebutt and the word on the street and the social media aspect of it all. And we, we get really enamored with the presentation. 
And, and I think at times, not always, at times, we can lose the heart of what it is that we're meant to be doing and what God established, what God is building in His church, His heart is for His church, because we, we modernize it and we turn it into something that we like. And, and I, I think the, the, at the core of this message, I'm not really even interested in style and methodology as much as I am the heart. And, and I just want to make sure that we talk about and reaffirm uh, the heart behind why we do what we do and, and why we're here and what this is about. And so that's going to be our conversation over the next few weeks. And uh, so we're going to start with uh, uh, Romans 12. And before I dive in, I want to read a quote. This is Dallas Willard who is just a brilliant man, Uh, he wrote this, The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Uh, I I love that. I've always loved that. And I think it's absolutely accurate that, that we're meant to be in a community and God's also very much uh, a part of this community in the, in, the, in the thick of it, in the middle of it. And he is the most glorious inhabitant, and he is also the prime sustainer. And so uh, that's what we're about. So Romans 12, and uh, last week we looked at just a few verses in here. And I'd like to kind of just walk through it um, and, and just point out a few things. And this, a lot of this is familiar to us. We've heard this one a lot. Um, but I just kind of want to walk through it. I think there's something that, that God is saying uh, through the Apostle Paul to this church in Rome that is so appropriate for today and so accurate to what we're about. And so um, context, uh, the Apostle Paul is, is looking to get to Rome. He's trying, he's on his way. He's en route uh, trying to get to Rome. He keeps getting held up. He keeps running into some detours, some roadblocks. He's currently in Spain right now, somewhere around Spain, uh, writing this this letter to the church in Rome, and uh, but he wants to set up shop there. He wants to land in Rome to make that his home base, and and so he is. This book, uh, Romans, is one of the most powerful books of the entire Bible, but it's unlike any other letter that Paul writes. If you notice, if you walk through the book of Romans, it it doesn't. He's not addressing issues, like. Uh, if you read First and Second Corinthians, there's some scandalous things going on and, and some naughty stuff, and, and he's, he's speaking to that. He's calling that out. He's talking to the, the, the church in Galatia. He's talking to the church in Ephesus. He's pointing out some problematic areas. Uh, that's not what he's doing here. In fact, what he's doing here is introducing himself to the church in Rome. He's kind of letting them know who he is before he gets there, and he's also framing what the big picture is, what we're about, what this is, and so it's so important to consider as we were talking about being family and being a church community, he's really doubling down on what that's about. And so that cha- this chapter speaks to that. So if we go to the uh, first verse of chapter 12 in, in Romans, uh, this is what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, uh, before we go any further, this chapter starts with the word therefore. And, uh, and any Bible scholar is going to tell you, if you see the word therefore, it's important to find out what it's there for. Um, it, it just means what's being said is, is made true, made factual, 
be, by what has already been said. And if you back up one chapter, one verse, uh, the end of Romans eleven thirty six says that for from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory. So from Jesus is everything's from, through, and to Jesus. And so he is the beginning, he is the end, he's the method in which we function, we live, we breathe, we have our being, he's the alpha, the omega, he is everything. And so everything's from, through, and to Jesus. And so because everything's from, through, and to Jesus, because he does all the work, he's done all the work, uh, because he sustains us, he's everything we need, he's, he's the method in which we live and breathe, uh, because that's true, we are, as a response, meant to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of worship. And uh, the way he puts it is, offer your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, now, this, there's a lot of um, symbolism here. There's a lot of history here uh, in terms of animal sacrifices and the old faith, the old covenant. Um, but just to kind of skip forward to the end, what's being said here is... Because Christ has given everything for us, because he has given everything for us, it is our response to give ourselves to him. And so this is our commitment to say, it is no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. So the statement to say, living in holy sacrifice is just to say, I am yours. Uh, I would say that this statement is, is pretty much exactly the same as Jesus' statement uh, on his way to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, where he says, not my will yours be done. And so I think this is the same heart. It's, it's not my will. It's not about me. Yours be done. And so to give ourselves as a sacrifice to God is to say, I'm yours. You are mine. And so uh, it, is, it is to say, it's your will, not mine. So it continues after that to say this, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, we'll, we'll get to this kind of contrast between transformation and conformity uh, at the end. I'll come back to that, and so we'll keep going. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly of yourself than he ought to think, but to think also to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For, for just as we have many members of one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Um, now, we are, this is really the big picture here, and this, he goes on to really emphasize what's being said, and this is what we read last week. We are part of the body of Christ. Uh, we are not individualists. The, the, this, this pursuit of Christianity and faith is not a solo enterprise. It, it, it isn't. It is collaborative, and we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And so there's so much symbolism in this to be, you know, to, the, the conversation in, in about the vine. We are the vine, or he is the vine, we are the branches. We are grafted in him. Every joint supplies. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of Christ. Um, there's so much symbolism that speaks to our connectivity and us being together in this. And, uh, and he is the head, we are the body. And so really what's being said throughout this whole chapter is going to come back to this point, that we're in this together. And, uh, and, and, and Paul uh, alludes to a massive speed bump in prioritizing 
the family of faith and being connected in community. And I wanted to point it out. Uh, he says, don't think more of yourself than you should. Don't, don't be haughty. Don't, don't be arrogant. Don't let pride get in the way. And, and to me, this is one of the biggest deterrents to prioritizing community in the family of faith is just a, 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 an inflated sense of self that I don't need it, uh, it's not worth my time, I've got better things to do. All that, we can justify that, we can rationalize that, but it comes back to the same thing. It's, it's pride. It, it is pride to say that I'm, I'm good on my own and I don't need anybody else. Well, th- first of all, that's false. It's not true. You don't need anyone until you need somebody. And then you're like, man, I, <laughs> which I, I wish I had someone uh, to talk to. I wish I had a community. And so, but it's in, those, it's in the off-season when you, it's not as obvious that it proves that the priority is, is, is others. It's, it's bigger than self. But pride can get in the way big time. And an uh, in, in inflated sense of self um, I, 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 I've said this before, but back in the day, I remember this. When you ask somebody how they're doing, you just say, how are you, how you doing? The, the canned response, the, the, the mindless response, it was typically, I'm, I'm good. How are you doing? Good. And whether that's true or not remains to be seen, but it, it, it's just sort of the automatic response. It, uh, n- now, currently, if you ask someone how they're doing, it seems to be the auto response is busy. How you doing? Busy. I do it. I do it all the time. I probably did it this morning. Uh, It's just a natural thing because we are. And the fact is we are. But I think deeper than that, we like to be busy because it feels like we're we're important. (laughs) It feels like we're, this world needs us. I'm busy because this world, this community, I'm needed. And, and there's a little bit of, uh, of pride in that. And so I, I, think, I, I think all of us struggle with that in, in varying degrees. Self-importance, this being about me. Uh, to be inconvenienced by anything is almost a slap in the face. It's like, hey, come, do the, come out Monday night at 6 p.m. It's like, eh, I've got better things to do. Uh, we don't like being inconvenienced, but that's really what love is all about. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 can be summed up. The whole chapter about love can be summed up this way. Love is massively inconvenient. It just is. And uh, it, it, it's never convenient. And so this, this conversation, what Paul is hitting hard, is that being a part of this family requires us moving up, above and beyond just self. So uh, it goes on to say, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, uh, he who gives with, uh, with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, I don't want to go through all these. These would be considered spiritual gifts. Um, I don't want to go through all these, but I do want to hit one because it kind of glows in the dark when you read this. It stands out at you. Uh, prophecy. And, uh, and so prophecy, historically speaking, Old Testament, we, we read the words of the prophets. Uh, a lot of what the prophets were here to do was, were to foretell or foreshadow the coming of Jesus. 
And so the words of the prophets uh, were highlighting the person who was coming and what's going to happen. Uh, and now we, we, we hear the word prophecy, we automatically think of like for, fortune tellers and, and, and people telling the future. Um, now, if you read the New Testament, you see a couple of instances where, where someone did, you know, uh, address Paul and say, you're going to be arrested, um, that kind of thing. But, but for the most part, and I love this scripture, I'm going to refer to uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. Uh, and this is certainly a gift that God gives so many of us. Um, the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So um, I'll put it this way. To me, the modern New Testament um, gift of prophecy, a lot of times it just looks like this. If something's said to you, be it on a Sunday morning or in your small group or, or just during the day, and someone says something, and maybe they don't even mean to direct it towards you. They just say it. And it hits you right in your heart. And you're like, man, that was for me. I needed that. That is a gift of prophecy. Uh, it is speaking exactly where you are. And the point of it is not to scare people. I know, like, I remember in the 90s, I heard prophets all the time predicting doom and gloom and all this stuff. And I'm like, eh. That's, I mean, and, and I don't know how you can keep your job as a prophet of God and be wrong 100% of the time. With that end date has, has changed about 300 times since I've been a Christian. And so the, the day, the, the, the end of the world's coming on this date, and it just it comes and goes. Uh, so I, 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 I think it's bigger than that. It's, it's, more, it's more edifying than that. And so the purpose here, and we find in 1 Corinthians 14, is someone who uh, is, is speaking to edify, to exhort, and console. That's the purpose. Now, now, exhortation means encouraging words. It's building up. Uh, consolation, obviously, to console someone, to bring, to bring hope and consolation to someone, to bring uh, reassurance to them that, that God's in charge. And so uh, people have a gift to do that. They, they just, they don't have to, their eyes don't have to roll back in their heads. They don't have to flick the lights on and off. They just speak directly to where you are, and God speaks through them, and it's beautiful, and it's helpful. Uh, I don't know, along the way, maybe you grew up differently than I did in church, but for whatever reason, somewhere along the way, we feel like God wasn't moving unless things got really weird. Like, God has to make things awkward. That's, <laughs> that's who God is. God is the, the close talker with bad breath that just makes it all awkward. Um, that's just not, that's not God. It just, if, if, it doesn't, if it doesn't do something on the inside of us, if we're stuck in our brains like, that was weird it's actually missing the mark. It's meant to move us, edify us, build us up, compel us. And God does that in a creative, uh, beautiful way. So, all right. Does that make sense? So uh, that's just a little kind of detour about uh, prophecy. Let's keep going. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Now, all of this, uh, the seamless transition from these gifts of the Spirit, or these, uh, these ministries, these gifts of the Spirit to minister to people, uh, into this exhortation to take care of each other, be faithful, Keep praying, stay diligent, don't give up, 
it's going to get tough. Uh, bad times are coming, but don't, don't forsake this. Don't give up on each other. Take care of each other. All this is to say that, and this is the big picture of this whole chapter, and, and this is really what Paul is speaking. This is Paul, the book of Romans is a message. It's not a, 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 it's not a letter addressing issues. It is a, he's preaching the message. And the message is that we're part of something bigger than what we see. And we're, we're part of something bigger than just what this world has to offer. We're part of a bigger kingdom, a, a, an everlasting kingdom. And what that kingdom is about on planet Earth is caring for each other. It is first connecting with the living God and, and, and being faithful to that connection, letting God work His work through us. But the priority then moves to caring for each other, being a part of something that is united with each other in faith. And so this whole conversation is to say, you have gifts that build each other up. Use them. Don't neglect them. Don't ignore them. Don't hide them under a bushel. Oh, no. Let them shine. You have gifts. Now, now this is kind of what happens, and, and I, don't want to, you know, I don't want to get too harsh on this, but it's just a fact of life. People have a gift uh, that God gave them. And certainly those gifts can be used to monetize in our careers. And, and that's great. But a lot of times, we'll only use those gifts for monetization. And so uh, people who are gifted teachers, they'll use it to teach, but then they, they're part of a community, and it's like, I, I don't want to do that on my day off. It's like, well, uh, I mean, God gave you the gift, right? And so I, I think this, this is an encouragement to say, how can I use the gifts that God's given me to contribute to the building up, the edification of the body of Christ, uh, the building up of the body in love? And then, and then it goes on to say, even through the tough stuff, through trials, through tribulations, when people are in need, when you're in need, when, when, when the going gets tough, normally when the going gets tough, we Google easier options. That's normally what happens, but Paul's encouraging us, when the going gets tough, lean in, uh, really double down on your resolve, having done all to stand, keep standing, and, and don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Uh, I know that we like the path of least resistance, and, and, and uh, have you guys watched Shark Tank? Anyone? Both of you. Um, Shark Tank is uh, a show about people bringing ideas to make life simpler. And uh, it's like the most mundane task. Are you tired of bending over to tie your shoes? Well, there's, there's got to be a better way. And so it's something as simple and mundane as that, just making life ridiculously easy. If, if you're pulling a tissue out of the box is too difficult, now you, it's voice activated, and it'll launch a tissue at your face. And all you've got to do is, and, so, uh, and you're done. There is, there is a uh, allure of simplicity and ease. And, and the, again, love is not that. Love is costly. Uh, we talked about it in the Good Samaritan. It cost us time. It cost us safety. It cost us money. It cost effort. And so uh, this is a, a doubling down to say prioritize to a, such a degree that we, even through the tough stuff, we lean in, we care for each other, we're here for each other, and uh, it's beautiful. Now, this is where it gets a little controversial. Bless those who persecute you. Excuse me? No. No thanks. Um, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. 
be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for, uh, for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everybody. Um, bless those who persecute you. Man, that is not at all the way that our world works. And speaking of being nonconformist, uh, if we see anything we disagree with, there's something inside of us that's just ready to just blast that person and let them know how stupid they are. Uh, they need to know. I'm their accountability buddy, and I need to let them know how, uh, how dumb they are. How are they still alive being this dumb? <laughs> how, do they, how do they cross the street being this stupid? Um, there is a temptation to be right fighters. And I think that's what the world is creating, even in our young generation. It's just we're teaching young people to right fight. And any, any fight that's not the fight of faith is the wrong fight. That's the, that's the right fight. That's the good fight. Anything, any other fight is the wrong fight. And so we expect to lead the people to Christ by insulting them, calling their mother names, and then at the tail end of it, by the way, Jesus still loves you and accepts you. Um, that's not how we do it. And so uh, the call here is to love people through those moments. Now, I love this thing we mentioned it last week. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. I had a great conversation uh, with a friend last week, and I won't point him out because he may be in this room, but um, he, he said about this verse, I loved it. He said, I, I didn't think about the fact that this is a two-way street. Uh, not only are we giving ourselves to lean in and to be present, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, but also it's allowing openness for other people to do that with us. And I thought that was such a good point. I hadn't thought about that myself. but just And I'm a very, historically, very private person. I, I, I'm there for you, but then I'm good. And that's not really how this works. It's, it's, being, it's a two-way street and being open and willing to, to be open and vulnerable. I think small groups, great opportunity just to open up and be vulnerable. And so I, I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and I love the last statement here. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Sometimes it doesn't depend on you. Sometimes it's out of your hands. Uh, but uh, for our, our own side, having done everything to, to reach out the olive branch, forgive, move on. And now listen, I, I think sometimes forgiveness does not involve relationship. And, and I think that's where we can go wrong with this um, forgive everybody, forgive our enemies, all that stuff. It, 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 to let someone back in to hurt you again is not the best thing. Guard your heart, right? Sometimes forgiveness... Is, is just letting go. We don't have to keep the relationship going. It's just letting it go in our own hearts. What's, what's the old adage that, that bitterness, unforgiveness is drinking poison, wait for the other person to die? There's a lot of people that hate my guts who stop talking to me, trying to prove a point to me that I'm just not getting. I'm not getting the point. I'm blissfully unaware. And they're just, oh, that guy. It's like, eh, you know, why live with that? Um, I'm not that bad. All right. So let's go back to the, to the beginning here. Um, conformity versus transformation. The, the, the contrast is clear. Don't conform. Be transformed. So these two things, these are the two, these are the two options, right? 
there's not a middle ground that Paul presents. He, he doesn't say, you know, kind of half seas, 50 50, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. He says, uh, don't conform, be transformed. Now, I've, I've preached this verse five flagillion times. We've read it, we've heard it, we get it. But I, I just want to kind of make this as practical as I can in light of the rest of the chapter. And that's kind of what I wanted, why I wanted to hold out. Because I think we think of that idea, uh, we read it. Uh, Offer yourself a living sacrifice. Don't conform, be transformed. We think of that just independently. That's me. Chris, stop conforming. Uh, instead of that, be transformed. That's a very personal thing. But the context of the rest of this conversation is collaborative. It's communal. It's together. It's the body. It's us affecting each other. So it's not, it's not a solo thing. So this conversation of, of conformity and transformation has a bigger ripple effect than just you. So to not conform is to reject what's being uh, put in your face as the template of success from this world, from this culture. It is to go against it. We are meant to be called to be non-conformist. We are not meant to uh, just accept what's handed to us and perpetuate it. Regardless of pressure, regardless of, of what people say, their, sell, their, their, their sales pitch on that idea, regardless of what the news says, regardless of what everybody else is doing. Your, your parents probably said this. It's every, if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you do it? This is, this is Paul's if everybody jumped off a bridge conversation. Don't conform. Now, what happens in our culture inevitably, especially now that communication is more pervasive, it used to be news was something that you could leave on your driveway and not pick up. But now it is perpetually, constantly in your face. It is, it is, it is pervasive to the nth degree. And so what's happening everywhere around the world, what's happening in everybody's minds and the loudest talkers and, and, and people really trying to uh, convey their own opinion, their own message, their own priorities is just constantly, we're bombarded by that. And what the world demands is conformity, is likeness. In as much as, as you'll hear the, the, the words, don't, you know, be yourself. Don't conform, be yourself. That, those are, it's, 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 it's not true. That's just, that's a nice little tagline to put on, no, but really, seriously, you better fit in. You better not stand out. You better not be the weirdo. And so there's a social pressure in our culture from every, act, from every angle, every degree. The church demands conformity oftentimes. And we want you to dress alike, look alike. You know, um, I, I'll never forget. I, I was on my way. My wife and I were driving to a church planting conference, which is as fun as it sounds. And we were, it was in Birmingham, Alabama. And on the way down, we're driving down, and, and I said, hey, Sonia, can I describe every person that's going to be there? And I, I, I described them, their hairstyle, uh, what they're wearing, what they're carrying, and what they look like. And we got there, and she looked at me, and she just started laughing. She's like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's a but Because it is just, there's a stereotype, there's an archetype, there's just, we, and, and it's not like each one of these people always wanted to look like that. It just, you get around 
groups like that, and the groups really kind of pressure sameness, you end up looking this, the part, dressing the part. The whole world is doing that. And, and I, I've said this a million times, church has not cornered the market on religious uh, uh, activity, or religion, religious sensibilities. The world is religious and dogmatic. And so what's being asked of us here is to, uh, to resist that, to not conform, to not just go with the flow, to be something altogether different. And I love the, the statement, to conform is outward compliance. It's look the part, act the part. In, in an essence, it's lying. Conformity is lying. You're, you're trying to project something you're not. So I, I, yeah, I'm one of those two, regardless of what's going on on the inside. And, and the contrast is uh, outward compliance or inward transformation. By the renewing of our mind, something, we become an altogether new creation, not just uh, uh, someone wearing something different or someone looking different or someone acting different. Someone is different. It's metamorphosis. And what the, the idea of transformation is, is Jesus becoming more of Jesus in us. I decrease, He increases. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. So every day, we are becoming more and more who Jesus is on the earth. Now, that does, he just, he, then he goes in to talk about, you have gifts, you, you're unique, it, you don't become a clone, you are uniquely you, but Jesus is completely Jesus through you who are completely you. That's the beauty of this. You never become something you're not. You only become who you truly are if the world is out of the way. And the world gets its hands on you and wants to make you into something else. But that's not you. And there's no satisfaction in that. No one has ever got to the end of a life of conformity and says, that was awesome. There's always regret. There's always despair. Because it's not fulfilling because you're not being you. It's, it's a lie. We have to be who God's created us to be, and that's exactly what Paul's getting to. So I want to finish with one last verse, and this is found in 2 Corinthians 3, 18, where Paul actually goes into this idea of transformation just a little bit further, and uh, we'll wrap up with this. He says this. Now, he just talked about the law. He just talked about how when the, the, the law of Moses is read, a veil lies over our hearts. And so, in other words, there's not a connection. Uh, the Bible says, Romans 10.10, it's where the heart a person believes. We don't connect. Really, the best we can do with the law is conform. But we don't connect at a heart level. And so, the Bible says that when we turn to the Lord, the, heart, the, the veil is removed from our heart. So that's the conversation here. Verse 18, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. This is transformation. And transformation does not happen by trying hard or having a a good uh, traffic pattern of life. It doesn't happen by reading more books. It doesn't happen by being a better person. Transformation happens as we behold Jesus. It's His goodness, not ours. It's His finished work, not our workload. 
It is Jesus that transforms us. And as we behold Jesus, we are becoming more like Jesus. And, and the, 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 the icon he uses is a mirror. He says it's like beholding as in a mirror. And, and really, if you go a little deeper in that idea, it's, it's like looking in the right mirror. Because this world will hold a mirror up to you that happens to be a funhouse mirror. And it says to you constantly in this very subtle way, you're not really good enough. And you're not really deserving. And you should probably feel some shame for who and what you are. You should look different. You need to get more fit. You need to fit into this mold of what is attractive and what is successful. I will never forget uh, having this conversation with my wife uh, after our, da- our daughter Berkeley was born. Um, my wife had some health issues after the fact, and I just told her, I said, I, I feel like I like this kid. I'm not sure if I'm going to like the next one. Let's quit while we're ahead. And, and it was just kind of this grace that I had to say, I think one kid is good. And I remember having a conversation with my wife. She's like, you can't just do one kid. I was like, why not? I didn't read that book. Is that Dr. Spock? I mean, who, who, who said that? She said, just people say you can't. People, who's that? Culture says, don't have one kid. But it's just this pervasive thing that gets in our brains. It's just kind of peer pressure, this kind of bigger peer pressure that's just, it, it really is conformity. And so that's exactly what this conversation is about, is stop looking in that funhouse mirror to try to define success. There's a lot of people who are wealthy who are miserable. They've checked every box of what the world defines as successful, and they have found no success in their soul. Their soul is still in despair. Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could discover that it's not the answer to anything. It's not the answer to our problems. But we just kind of follow the lemmings. Oh, this is what success looks like. Instead of just being uh, obedient to Christ, following the, the lead of the Holy Spirit, and being unapologetically ourselves in Christ. And there's so much joy in that. Uh, there's joy in Him. And there's joy in that process. And there's so much fulfillment and being dedicated to that pursuit. And so it is looking in the right mirror and saying, oh, that's who you've created me to be. I'm not what other people say I should be. I'm not even what other people say that I am. Maybe you've heard words growing up that were pretty cutting and and hurtful for you, and you started to believe it. People said you're not good at things, or you're not not the best at this, or you're not not enough here, or you're, you're not good enough there. It's time to stop believing the lie. And it's time to start looking in the right mirror to say, who does Christ say that I am? Oh, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Some people might say, hey, you're an addict. Or you're a bad person. You're mean. You're hateful. You're short-tempered. That's what they say, but that's not what the Bible says. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm His beloved in whom He's well-pleased. As He is, so am I. This is who I truly am. 
So transformation comes by looking at the right mirror. And we're beholding who Jesus is. And that's what starts to transform us from the inside out. And we're becoming every day more and more who He's called us to be. So as we close, loving and preferring each other, uh, caring for each other in community is not the easiest thing that we'll ever do. It's not easy. And, and I certainly have very selfish days where I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like my bed is very comfy and uh, it, it's a little cool outside and I don't feel like it. But the Holy Spirit reminds us that Christ loves us. That He died for us. That He, he is doing something in us that is beautiful and He cares for us. And it is that focus, looking in the right mirror, what Christ has done for us that propels us to do for others. That gives us the right fuel for our tank. The Bible says let everything you do be done in love because that's what fuels us. That's what, what propels us. May the love of God compel you. That's what fuels us to do what we do. We've got to keep the focus on the right thing because it's the right thing that fuels us to do the right thing.